0: placed him on my chest at that point, it was such a rough entry into the world for him. But I just knew in my mama heart, like it was going to be okay and that he was going to be okay.
1: Welcome to the Happy Homebirth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Well, hey there, happy homebirthers! I am currently enjoying all of the newborn snuggles on maternity leave. So I have some encore episodes for you for the next few weeks. Some of these episodes are from the very beginning of the podcast and I wanted to give them an opportunity to see new life, uh, to re-listen to these oldies but goodies and I hope that they bring you something new. Enjoy and I will see you back here after maternity leave. Today, we are speaking with Leah Rayburn, who is a home birth mother who decided to have a home birth with her first child, even though she didn't have any friends or family who had had it or experienced it before. And she's a registered nurse. So her interview is incredible. I do want to start off by letting you guys know that there is a complication that arises within her birth. So this is kind of a trigger warning for you. If you are a pregnant mom coming up on your uh, guest date or due date and you are not comfortable hearing any types of complications, this episode you might want to hold off on. But I will tell you also that it turns out beautifully, everything works out great, and it's an amazing episode. But there is a shoulder dystocia mentioned, so if that is concerning to anybody, then then just just take note of that. Other than that, let's just remember that the opinions of my guest are not necessarily reflective of my own opinions, and neither of us are are giving you medical advice, so this does not take place of your doctor, and be sure to go see them, or if you're like me, your chiropractor, and let's jump on over to the interview with Leah. Leah, thank you so much for coming on Happy Home Birth. I'm so glad to be here to talk to you today. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners.
0: Um, my name is Leah Rayburn. I'm a registered nurse, and my fiance's name is Brandon Davis, and he is a UFC fighter. We have a perfect little boy who is three months old, and his name is Rain.
1: So, Leah, you decided to have a home birth with your first child. How did you come to that decision?
0: So... um I've just always been fascinated by labor and delivery, everything, mother and baby. I've always just had a heart for it. And I knew that whenever I decided, whenever the time was right and I, um, you know, was planning my first child that I wanted to have a home birth, which does sound crazy because no one that I know, no one in my family or and not many of my friends have had home birth. So it was just it took a whole lot of research on my part to come
1: to that decision and decide that I wanted to do it. That's so interesting. Did was there anything in particular that stood out to you in your research that made you say, oh, yep, that's it. I'm going to have a home birth. Or was it just kind of everything altogether led you to that path?
0: I think it was a combination of everything. Um, Having a home birth wasn't something that I talked to a lot of people about Um, when they asked me what I was planning as far as, you know, labor and delivery. um, People ask you all kinds of things when you're pregnant, like, where are you having your baby? Who is your provider? And so when, um, you know, when I would say, oh, I'm planning a home birth, I have a midwife, especially being a registered nurse, I got a lot of crazy reactions from people, even Even some pretty close friends and co-workers, like how could you choose that for you and your baby, knowing how, you know, how anything can just go wrong at any moment. And I think that was sort of the deal breaker for me, that a lot of times in the hospital setting, you just get thrown on a conveyor belt to go through you know, one intervention after the other, which just, I think that labor is best left untouched. And I did not want my birth story to be that way. So that's why I just decided, you know, as long as I'm healthy and baby's healthy, I would rather just be in the comfort of my home. I just felt like that would be the
1: best for all of us. That's so neat. And it's kind of funny, you're the second RN that has been interviewed (laughs) to have your home birth story. I I love seeing the medical community how like, yeah, they, you you guys are seeing that there is some true benefit to this. So what about your partner? Was he really excited and on board initially? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at
0: all. He was very close minded to every single bit of home birth. And I think um, I didn't even plan or I didn't even set up a prenatal appointment with an OB in the beginning. I just started interviewing different providers in the area, different midwives. I um, did a lot of phone call interviews with them to see if that's something that I really, um, truly wanted to go through with. And I set up a meeting with a midwife in the area so that we could just talk over, you know, coffee or sandwiches and, you um, Before I really made the decision to go through home birth, we could do like a greet and, um, you know, she would explain her service to me and just we would compare like hospital and home birth. And if this was really something that was good for us as a family and I asked Brandon if he would go with me. And he said, oh, no, absolutely not. You're going to have you're going to go to the hospital like the first signs of labor pains and you're going to have a baby in the hospital like every normal person. (laughs) And that that comment sort of just sat wrong with me, because just why is it so not normal to have a healthy mom and healthy baby? Why is it not normal for them to just labor at home and have a home birth? So I just feel like all that, you know, should change. You know, home birth should should be normalized. Right. But yeah, at any rate, I just hung it up at the time. Like I said, it was really early on when we had that conversation. So I'm really just passive by nature. And I just said, "Okay, let's forget about it. Maybe I will change my mind. And I made an appointment with an OB. And um, I think we got to about week 26, 27, and I just felt, had this unsettled feeling about this hospital birth that I ended up planning, and I called a few more midwives in the area, did a few more phone interviews, and I set up a meeting with this other midwife, and I did not tell Brandon I was going (laughs) to go meet her, and, um, (laughs) until afterwards. And so I sat down and had a lot of conversation with her and I sat down with her for over two hours and we had some of the best conversation. Immediately, I knew that she was the one. She um, made me just feel so confident in the care that she would provide for me. And I was like, this is it. I know that whatever my birth
1: story is going to be, like you are going to be a part of it. And Mm -hmm. so that's that's how it all happened. That's amazing. So how did you come to your partner and say, oh, by the way, we're going to have a home birth? (laughs) So I guess
0: it's going to be, so welcoming a baby into the world, of course, he was going to be a part of that, but it's going to be firsthand my experience more than it will be anybody else's that's there. So I just told him, I really need to make this decision for me. I feel like it will be most successful and most, I don't know, just a much better outcome for me if I'm able to labor at home and deliver with a midwife as opposed, as opposed to being in a hospital setting. I felt like I would just shut down, which I know is crazy since I'm a registered nurse, but something about being in our, uh, being a patient in a hospital just throws me off. I can't handle it. And I feel like just a, regular, a healthy mom is not a patient in a hospital. Labor should not be a medical event that our culture has kind of made it out to be. Um, That's just my own personal opinion. But, you know, I do believe there is a time and place for medical intervention. Where would we be without, you know, modern medicine, C-sections? There would be a whole lot less mamas and babies in the world if we did not have all of that. So I definitely respect it. But I just don't think that every birth story should look the same. And, um, so I'm
1: glad that we chose home birth for that reason. That's amazing. Well, I would love to hear what your prenatal experience was for those last few weeks. I mean, you came on kind of later in pregnancy. So switching from that OB practice over to your midwife, what was that like for you?
0: Right. So I, um, kept my prenatal appointments with my OB and I also um, saw my midwife at the same time up until about week 36. And I just completely made the transition over to my midwife because, um, at the very end of my third trimester, my OB was, who is amazing. She just got to be very pushy about things that I didn't want. I didn't want to do like a third trimester ultrasound. I didn't want to do cervical checks weekly after 35 weeks. And, um, I told her that I wanted to have home birth and she was she definitely tried to compromise with me over like a birthing center that she had privileges at. But, um, I just decided personally, it just wasn't going to be the best scenario for us. And I just completely switched over to my midwife and she provided amazing prenatal care for me. And I think a great deal of that, um, You know, she provided so much education that my OB just simply did not do, not because she didn't care, but probably because she just didn't have time. As an OB, I know she saw tons and tons of babies. She even told me herself, you know, the month that I was expecting, she had a baby due every day that month, and it was likely that... Uh, she wouldn't even be there to deliver my baby. And those words came from her mouth and she didn't say that in a bad way, but just as a matter of fact kind of way so that I would be prepared. And that's just something that I didn't want. I wanted to have my care provider there for me for my whole labor experience. And that's something that my midwife could give me where my OB couldn't. Wow. So, um, yeah. So we, um, my prenatal visits with my midwife were amazing. She, um, taught me a whole lot. She, one thing she told me that my OB did not educate me on is how, you know, my baby was positioned, that he was posterior and just what that kind of meant for my labor experience. A lot of moms have, you know, their labor doesn't progress, um, the way it's supposed to. And she just said, you know, that's something that we would, uh, you know, meet head on. Like when we get there, um, I, she recommended different chiropractors, um, to me, so I ended up doing some prenatal chiropractic therapy, some yoga, just different things, trying to get in every position, just to make labor more optimal. Not that you know, babies is in a posterior position, don't <laughs> come out, but um, just to kind of make things more optimal for our labor experience. So,
1: yes, that's so neat, and I love that you pointed that out. That was one thing I I didn't really realize. Um, so you know, I worked with a midwife and then I was under midwifery care with my first child. And I, you know, you just, the midwife palpates your baby, like your midwife knows where your baby is and what position they're in. Um, and I was talking to one of my friends about this, who uses, you know, traditional OB care. And she was like, what the heck are you talking about? Yeah. And I just had no idea. Oh, oh, your OB doesn't check your baby's position. You know, it, it's, it's a very different type of situation. And, and I'm sure that a lot of that relates to time as well, where you said your midwife spent two hours with you the first time you met, you know, an OB just does not have that ability if they've got a birth every single day.
0: Right. Yeah. And um, that was the other thing, uh, just my midwife, she was a lot more hands-on with me. And I remember kind of having, I'm not a confrontational person, but I remember kind of having an argument back and forth with my OB when she was sort of pushing that third trimester ultrasound and she was telling me well you know we have to see how much amniotic fluid you have if the baby's you know cephalic if she if he's head down in the right position and meanwhile I just had a prenatal appointment with my midwife and she confirmed like baby was head down and kind of pretty engaged just from like an ab- abdominal exam and I was like you could can- you could do that without an ultrasound and it was just a back and forth kind of thing. Um, So yeah, it was, they, the OB was a lot more distant in care than my midwife was. I felt like she was almost a sister or a mom to me as well as a care provider.
1: Oh, that's so neat. I, I think that's really interesting that you did keep going to your OB for that time. And so you really do have a comparison of what happens in each setting around the same time. That's really a cool reference.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanted to also make sure like we were low risk and that it was going to be a healthy option for us to choose home birth. So that's definitely why I wanted to keep my OB appointments
1: too. Good point. That's a great point. Now tell me with all of this prenatal care, how did, how did the actual labor go? Give us your birth story.
0: Yeah. So let's
1: jump into that.
0: I um, worked up until the day that I delivered, which um, was pretty hard. My whole pregnancy was pretty standard um, and healthy and baby was healthy. And so I would show up day by day to work and they're like, my goodness, when are you going to have this baby? I was like, I don't know. We're still waiting. And I think it was week thirty nine and it was a Friday. And I woke up that morning to go to work and I went to the bathroom to wash my face. And um, I, you know, saw some bloody show that morning. So I was like, okay, well, I let my midwife know and I did not, I asked her, I said, so what does that mean as far as when will labor start? She said, well, it could be anywhere from 24 hours to a week. Just keep me updated and let me know how you're feeling. So I guess. Um, I felt sort of crampy, but nothing that was, wasn't was tolerable. I just decided I feel pretty good. I'm going to go to work today. And so I went, and I stayed the full 12 hours um, on the unit. I was walking up and down the stairs during my free time and pacing um, pacing the hallways. And I got home that night, and I took a shower and laid down. And, man, I was just feeling so crampy and just generally not feeling very good. Um, but it hadn't really hit me that I was in labor. I had, that did not register on my mental like at all. So Brandon was there with me and I was laying in bed. It was probably eight 30 and I was like, I'm done for the night. I'm going to get some sleep. He said, girl, you better, you need to wake up. It's not bedtime. <laughs> I said, no, you just, just leave me alone. I feel like I need to rest. I've had a really long day and i just feel tired. I, I just feel tired. And so um, I tried to go to sleep that night and I could not go to sleep. I was just so uncomfortable that I could not sleep. And what I was feeling was just kind of some cramps, um, but nothing that made me think, oh, this is not normal. Um, I was just in my mind, I was thinking maybe this is Braxton Hicks because I hadn't really experienced Braxton Hicks throughout my pregnancy. So I guess I kind of convinced myself that that's what was going on. So um, the night went on and about 3.30 in the morning, um, the uncomfortable feelings that I had just weren't very tolerable anymore. They kind of pushed me over the edge. I was like, maybe I need to start counting what I'm feeling. This has (laughs) to be like, I really hope these are contractions that are actually making some progress because I'm exhausted and I can't sleep through these. So I got out my a timer on my phone to count through what I thought I was having, what I thought was contractions. And um, I was already that 5-1-1 one one that they tell you, you know, you need to go to your birthing facility. I was like, okay, well, I don't really believe that yet. So I waited another hour of counting and it was still that 5-1-1. One one. So it was about 4.30 in the morning. And I didn't call my midwife. I called my best friend who was like four hours away. I just told her, hey, I know you're sleeping, so I'm sorry I woke you up, but I think today's going to be baby day. So whenever you get up for the day, just go ahead and drive down here. And she was like, OK, cool. And so I waited. I kept waiting and I ended up calling my midwife around five. I waited another 30 minutes. I called around 5 a.m. And I told her what I was feeling and she said, well, that's great. She said, have a glass of water and some breakfast, keep counting and call me in another hour. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, really? <laughs> and she said, Yeah. And so that's what I did. And I called her back in an hour to let her know that everything was still pretty consistent. And she said, well, great. I will pack my stuff up. I think today is baby day. And she said, I'll be there in an hour and a half to two hours. So I was like, okay. So I waited and I continued to labor at home. And it was about 830 that morning when she knocked on the door. And I remember walking to the door and um, I said, hey, I feel like crap. <laughs> and she said, oh, well, let's see. Um, let's see how you're doing. And you know, keep in mind, I didn't have any cervical exams through the end of my pregnancy. So I had no idea how far along I would be. And with him being in an OP position, I was so fearful that she would tell me, you know, oh, you're a stretchy one, like on that Mm -hmm. first exam, especially after laboring all night, that was just my worst fear. So we went back to the bedroom and she checked me. She said, strong work, girl, you're a six. And I was like, great, that, that's great. So I was convinced that we would have a baby by that afternoon. And um, that just gave me some encouragement. So I continued to just kind of labor all day. She had her assistant midwife with her. And I firmly believe I would not have made it through without her. She was amazing. She sort of served as a doula to me in a way as well. And um, so I continued to labor throughout the day. The afternoon came and went, the sun set, and we still didn't have a baby. So I was like, oh, man. And I got her to check me again later on that afternoon. Um, I was about a nine. My waters were still Mm. intact. And she said that I'm about 90% effaced and she gave me the option of whether she could break my water where I could just keep laboring and we could just keep waiting on baby. Um, You know, she did the intermittent auscultation. baby still sounded fine, was tolerating labor well. And I said, well, let's just keep going um, and we will just wait and see how things go. I told her I didn't want her to break my waters at that point. So I labored probably for another hour, and um, labor never got to the point where I was scared or thought that I can't do this anymore, but I was feeling extremely exhausted, and so I just told her to go ahead and break my water at that point, and she said, okay, and I was laboring on the bed during this time, and she my midwife she told me okay you need to kind of decide where you want to be when we have the baby because um it's getting pretty close and so Mm -hmm. I said okay and um We had a birthing pool set up in the living room and I spent about, (laughs) I labored for like 26 hours total. And I think I spent 45 minutes in the labor pool. Oh, wow. I "I would, (laughs) I would love to get in the labor pool again. And she said, that would be great. Like we would be happy to set that up for you. But reality is we might have a baby before we get the water warm enough. So I said, okay, um, let's pick the next best thing. And I decided I wanted to labor in the shower. So, um, we moved to the shower and, um, I just kind of labored in a squatting position. I was already feeling kind of pushy. And, um, so I, my best friend was in there with me in the bathroom and I was squatting and, um, I was making the pushy sounds. And so my midwife came back in the room and they really had no idea that I had already delivered his head. (gasps) And yeah, it gave me some purpose and some direction. So I just like focused in and um, kept pushing and slowly delivered his head. And my midwife was right there behind me. I got my best friend to come in there. Um, or I got my best friend to tell her to come in and she was behind me, giving me some support, um, making sure that, um, I don't tear anything like that. Mm -hmm. And she gave me a couple more pushes and baby wasn't coming. And, um, she said, okay, girl, keep, keep working. Keep giving me a couple strong pushes. Give me everything, everything you've got. And I'm over there just working as hard as I can. And I'm just like, gosh, what's going on? And so I keep pushing and baby is not coming out and she said okay we're we're gonna have to get out of the tub if he doesn't come with the next push so I give it everything I've got and he's still not coming so she said all right girl we got to get out and at this point I'm just like okay what do I do Um, my baby's (laughs) head is fully delivered I'm laboring in a, a shower tub and so I have to step over the shower tub with my baby's head fully delivered, <laughs> and she says, oh. "Get on all fours mm-hmm. So, um, on all fours in the bathroom floor, and she is instructing me to push, and I'm alternating knees in a running man position. Yeah, and so we're doing right, left, and we were dealing with a very <laughs> tricky shoulder
1: dystocia. Yeah, it sounds point. like a very tricky one.
0: And, um. He still wasn't coming out, you know, in that um, in that position when I was on hands and knees. She freed a nuchal cord; that was wrapped twice around his neck, and um, she kept trying to maneuver his head or maneuver him out and helping me push him. And he still wasn't coming. Oh and Lord. I want to say like five minutes passed at this point. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I'm way starting too to long. get stressed out over here. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's way too long to have your baby halfway delivered. So. At that point, she said, "Okay, roll to your back," and I did. And I don't remember what it's called. Is it the McRoberts m- maneuver, where you your knees are back?
1: Yeah, where um, they. And did she push on it, your pubic area?
0: It did not get to that point. Oh, okay. Um, I pushed a few times from my back, and he eventually came. And I cannot <sighs> tell you the relief at that point. <sighs> and it was just almost like it wasn't even real. She um she caught him and she lifted him up, and placed him on my chest at that point, it was such a rough entry into the world for him. But I just knew in my mama heart, like, it was going to be okay and that he was going to be okay. And, of course, he didn't immediately cry. He was a little bit, um, I don't know. I don't know the best way to describe (laughs) it. Yeah, he was just exhausted. He was worn out. Um, And so it took a little stimulation on him. um, But eventually... He, um, you know, let out that first cry, mm-hmm. and it was just the best sound that, you know, I've ever heard. He stayed, um, he received all the blood from the placenta, so okay. he was oxygenated that way for a while, but he um, eventually perked up and latched well, and i oh, it's the most amazing day. I've, I've never been more proud of anything in yeah. my entire life.
1: That's incredible. So, man, a, a nice... Five-minute shoulder dystocia. Whew, oh, that's... my
0: goodness. Yes. Yeah. So I asked them, you know, after it was all over, there I was on a cold bathroom floor. Mm-hmm. It, everything was just kind of frantic at that point. But mm-hmm. after he was born, like, there was just this peace that overcame all of us. And eventually yes. we transitioned from the bathroom floor to the bed. And... Um, you know, after he made a really good transition, we talked and it was before everybody left. They stayed for a couple of hours, more than a couple, at least four hours with Mm -hmm. us. And I just asked them, you know, what would have happened if he did not come? Like, uh, where would we have gone with that situation? And um, because in my mind, when it was all going down, I was like, okay, where are your surgical instruments? Like <laughs> find the scalpel, remove him baby out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, please help us. And they handled the situation with such grace and just, mm-hmm. they did an amazing job. But, um, like you said, super pubic pressure would been the next, um, I guess you could say like intervention to try to get his shoulder out from under my pubic bone. And if mm-hmm. that didn't work, I think that, um, So my assistant midwife who was there, she is certified in Mississippi and she said that she would have had to break his collarbone in that Mm -hmm. case so that he would go ahead and be delivered. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad it did not get to that point. I'm so thankful that we did not have to face that,
1: which Um, is something that happens, you know, just to be clear, something that happens in the hospital as well Um, that, that can definitely happen. But but the the positive side of all of that is. Gosh, isn't it so incredible how many maneuvers midwives have and have gained and learned over centuries and you know eons of experience of, OK, we'll try this. Oh, this didn't work. OK, now we're going to do this. OK, now we're going to do this. And all of the time there is a sense of calmness and understanding and knowing like, okay, this is the next thing and this is the next thing. And there's so much to draw on and so much knowledge that they have to get through those situations that are uncommon and less than ideal. Right. We actually
0: just kind of talked about it with each other and, you know, what the scenario would have looked like in a hospital setting. And, you know, without a doubt, I'm pretty sure they would have given me an episiotomy, which by the way, I did not tear at all wow. with his delivery. I know I highly recommend, um, per, uh, perineal massage at the end <laughs> of your pregnancy. <laughs> um, but yeah, probably would have had an episiotomy, which really is that Clinically indicated because the shoulder dystocia is not a skin-to-skin issue; it's a bone-on-bone. So Mm -hmm. that probably that would have been something that would have would have really affected my recovery. That clearly wasn't even necessary in the first place. Or they might have rushed me in for a C-section. I'm really not sure. I'm I'm a nurse, but I have no idea how labor and delivery really works. And I know it probably depends a lot on the doctor as well
1: as the facility too. And all of the current concerns of. OK, well, if they were going to rush you into a C-section, well, they've got to get the baby back, back in. I mean, that's there's just so much that goes into <gasps> yeah. that, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so, crazy. So, and then, yeah. And then
0: him being delivered, would he have received all of his, you know, the placental blood, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because he so desperately needs it. He does. Yeah. And he did. Um, Cause I know a lot of times they'll just immediately clamp the cord and whisk the baby away to, you know, do tests and evaluations, which um, I know can sometimes be a good thing, but I feel like it was just so good for us for him to immediately come to me.
1: Yes. And
0: I'm, I think there's, you know, studies out there that just show improvements in, in you know, APGAR scores with babies that immediately are placed skin to skin with their mom And um, I just felt like that was really important for us. And he ended up transitioning really well. But I'm just so thankful that they were there and were able to manage the situation the way that they did because they did an amazing job.
1: That's so beautiful. And and to probably stand on a soapbox for a second too long, but that is one of the, my biggest frustrations and complaints. I feel like in the hospital setting, when there's something wrong with the baby, when, you know, okay, so he didn't get great oxygen those last few minutes, as soon as he's out there, they are going to clamp that cord and they're going to whisk him over and try starting the oxygen treatments when keeping him connected to the cord is the most beneficial thing that they could do keeping him right on you skin to skin so that he does perk up so that he does make that full transition into life so quickly you know so easily um that is just oh that's one of my my pressure points but mm-hmm. but so how big was he how much did he weigh <laughs>
0: he was eight pounds and two ounces okay and- yeah. And almost 22 inches long. I oh. think that's what they have written down. But he was measured on my bed. So I don't know if that altered the measurement, but he was 20, 20, at least 21 and three quarters.
1: So. OK, so he was yeah. he was a nice tall little thing, but not <laughs> not one of those like, <laughs> oh, yeah, he was just like a huge fat baby. No, he was a sticky shoulder.
0: Mm-mm, yeah, he was a sticky shoulder. And I guess it's not really even the big babies that you're scared of. It's the babies with the big heads <laughs> that yeah, have to be go. born.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I um, I really liked, I love your description of the the maneuvers that they did too. That's so, so incredible. But what was your recovery like after all of that?
0: So recovery time for me was really, it was pretty good. I immediately after birth, like within the next 12 hours, I kind of forgot like how bad it all was. I was just like, oh, yeah, I see how people get tricked into doing this again (laughs) because I really feel pretty normal, um, which was, um, you know, I should have taken it more easy on myself because, you know, Flashback, you know, Brandon was there for the labor and delivery, and he was against home birth um, from the get go. But he was there to be my support system anyway. So he was just kind of over in the corner, like, "Oh my gosh, what the heck is going on?" Mm. Um, and then he was there for me during my postpartum period as well. And afterwards, you know, uh, women who experience home birth or natural labors, they described a sense of empowerment which I totally feel but he almost felt that as well he was like damn my woman she's like had her baby at home and she's doing awesome he was telling all of his friends like how great everything went and how glad he was that we were at home and so I was like see because he so appreciated being able us being able to spend that immediate postpartum time in our own bed you know just loving on each other and that's just something that that was just really special to all of us. And oh, that, my, oh, that makes yeah. my heart so happy. <laughs> yeah. And so in his mind, I was like up the next, like within the next 12 hours, like I was taking a shower and, you know, pretty much taking care of myself. And uh, he was like, oh, she got that. And I really should have taken it easier mm-hmm. than that. Because in his mind, he was like, she's just completely bounced back. And I right. didn't really allow myself the recovery that Um, I needed, even though everything was pretty, pretty standard. Um, I should have just kind of laid in bed and, um, relaxed for a little bit longer. I know postpartum bleeding was an issue for a little while, just because I was just tired of laying down and just being with the baby all the time, which was such a blessing, but I wanted to get out and do things. So we would go and walk. And I remember I was still bleeding up to six weeks postpartum Mm -hmm. and it got to the point where I was feeling really weak. And um, I hadn't seen my OB postpartum yet, and I decided to schedule an appointment with her at six weeks just so I could have some lab draws done just to check, like, my hemoglobin to make sure I wasn't bleeding a little too much. And it all came back um, really well. Um, But, like I said, I should have just recovered, taken a little bit more time to recover and relax because breastfeeding was successful, and we were just breastfeeding all the time. and. Um, I think that's what um, why I was feeling so, I guess, depleted of all my energy, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Just oh, because, sure.
1: Yeah. So, well, um, and, you know, you did you did go through a even though it seems like it was a very nice overall labor that was still a stress on your body. And even the calmest of labors, you still have a placenta-sized hole in your, you know, on, on your uterine <laughs> lining. So, So that idea of really spending time postpartum recovering is huge. And I think a lot of first-time moms kind of miss that, especially when they are feeling like, high basically from all of the oxytocin Mm -hmm. and so empowered you do think oh well I'll just go you know cook dinner and do this and that and um and then sometimes it kind of catches up with you afterwards so I know I was guilty of that last time but I love what you were saying about your partner like it's it's so true Thomas (laughs) goes around like oh yeah well Caitlin you know she had the birth naturally she can do anything like they get so (laughs) they get so impressed and empowered and they can't stop talking about it he's like the biggest home birth advocate I know (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. Mhm. Yeah, because Brandon, the whole time, I think you know, one time during my pregnancy, I was just feeling sick, and I think one time I called into work, and he was like, "You think you're gonna have a home birth, and here you are, feeling sick, and you're calling into work." He was like, "No, okay, we'll just see. We'll let you do your own thing, and we'll see how it goes." And um, I guess in his mind, it it was successful, and uh, he didn't think it would be for whatever reason. I know he had his doubts. Um, But I guess we were all there just to kind of prove him him wrong (laughs) that, you know, women are strong and capable and so are midwives. And um, it was just a really, really good experience for him. I think if we have another baby in the future that we would definitely plan a home birth again, I think he would be on board for it now that he's
1: experienced it first. Right. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, Leah, well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It was just an absolute it's a, such a great journey and such an interesting story. I cannot believe you're just in your shower birthing <laughs> your baby's head by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Whispering to your friend. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I, I don't even, I don't know what she was thinking back there. I bet she was like, uh, oh, baby, I should go get somebody. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how help. to do this. <laughs> but awesome. yeah, every, uh, everybody, everybody asked me, you know, how is your home birth experience? Cause not a lot of people, um, go through with home birth. It's just very um, unusual. And I was I always tell them it's something that I would do again tomorrow if I had to. It was just the most amazing experience. And I would do it again oh, any
1: day. I love that. Oh, my goodness. Well, Leah, it was such an honor to hear your story. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Wasn't that an incredible episode? Holy cow. I could not get over how when I was interviewing Leah, she just very quietly and casually says, oh yeah, and the baby's head was out. Like, oh my gosh, who are you? Like, <laughs> what an amazing woman who's so powerful. So with our episode roundup, we've got some pretty interesting stuff to talk about here, huh? This was a this was a doozy. The first thing that I was thinking about was the fact that Leah's story, her birth story shows a pretty pretty amazing example of a rather large complication being handled at home. You know, shoulder dystocia is one of the things that 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 there's concern about no matter where you are, whether you're at home, whether you're in the hospital. It is it's a legitimate complication. But what I noticed was how calmly and skillfully Leah's midwife managed that shoulder dystocia you know she had leah get up then get her on her hands and knees she had her alternate lunges and finally had her move onto her back with her legs pulled up so she also knew the importance of of course keeping the cord attached uh so that leah's baby still had direct flow to oxygenated blood even if he wasn't quite breathing yet after that rather traumatic entrance into the world The second thing that I wanted to mention was just because you're feeling empowered and strong doesn't mean you should go make dinner. You know, I, like I said, this was who I was after my first birth and I'm really going to be adamant this time not to do that. You, You are strong and you are empowered, but you are also tired and your body has been through a lot. So please remember to take that time postpartum to lay in bed and have people do things for you. You deserve it. And finally, if your gut is telling you to go with a certain care provider, please be in tune with that. You know, Leah said she felt so comfortable with this midwife and knew that she was supposed to be part of her birth story and that really gave her the courage to to push forward with her plan to have a home birth even in the face of adversity and, you know we don't we don't know what would have happened had she been in the hospital but her story would have been different than what it is now and this story ended with a beautiful home birth a safe recovery and a happy healthy baby so i hope that you guys loved this episode i thought it was so incredible to hear a difficult situation uh, handled so beautifully and how strong leah was throughout that so thank you guys so much for tuning in this week and i look forward to seeing you back next week thanks for listening to this week's episode are you looking to extend the home birth support encouragement and education join us in our facebook group happy home birth podcast community and check us out on instagram at happy home birth podcast